And we're turning our attention for these weeks coming up to Christmas uh, to talk about our Christmas checklist. And we're going to find ourselves this morning in Luke chapter 1. If you want to turn there, whether you're with us this morning online or on site, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be starting at verse 26. And in doing so, we're going to start on this journey of what a Christmas checklist looks like. In the Bedal home, the custodian of the Christmas checklist is my wife, Amanda. And she serves as that custodian to make sure that the Bedals, those other four Bedal boys, uh, get to celebrate and enjoy and encounter all the sights, sounds, smell, taste, the traditions of the Christmas season. Now, I sometimes see a physical list, but usually it's a mental list that she has saying, uh, have we participated in all the things that would make for a worthwhile celebration? And there are things that we do as a family. We love to watch Christmas movies, and we've started uh, doing that. We love Christmas music playing in our home. Of course, my wife does a wonderful job with the boys in decorating uh, both the inside and outside of it. She's had some angst in these last days because God and his infinite grace has brought a lot of wind, which has wreaked havoc on much of our Christmas decorations Uh, But she loves to make sure we're a part of that. We've got some special traditions. We go into the city every Christmas and we participate in the zoo lights and enjoy a night in the city, enjoying the festivities and the decorations. Uh, We even go once a year, every Christmas, to the Fox Valley Mall. It's nostalgic for mom and dad. For some of you, you don't even know what a mall is anymore. But it's always nostalgic for us to spend some time enjoying the shopping. But amidst all of that, and maybe it's baking cookies, maybe it's doing all manner of things, uh, we all have Christmas traditions, lists of things we want to accomplish. So on the 26th of January, we can say we've celebrated a good Christmas. In in your bulletin, you're going to see a Christmas checklist. And in our series, we want you to embrace all of those traditions. We've written about 25 different things that we think that you should do to have a fun and festive-filled Christmas. But amidst those, there are four things we want you to do that we believe puts Christ back into Christmas. Now, let's face it. All of the things that Amanda has on her list are good things, But I'm so thankful she desires that Christ be a part of it. And and as a teaching team, each Sunday, including Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about some things that we think need to be added to our list that will make our experience of celebrating this incredible holiday more full, more robust, that we might encounter the Christ of Christmas as we celebrate Christmas with others, as we forgive others of the things and debts and trespasses they've had against us this Christmas and show them the forgiveness that we have found in Christ, that we might tell others, as the shepherds did, uh, the real story of Christmas. And like the wise men, that we might give gifts this Christmas in keeping with the greatest gift given of all time. This morning, I want to see how we can celebrate and worship Christ this Christmas. But let's face it, not everybody's in a celebratory mood. 
Let's face it, for some and a great many of us these days, the issue of COVID and this global pandemic has kept us from truly celebrating like we normally do. But even others are still dealing with heartache and brokenness. Today is the 12th of December, and today, <clears throat> excuse me, is a reminder of the heartbreak that my own family is dealing with. You see, today is my parents' anniversary. And it's my parents' anniversary, and it'll be the first that my dad will celebrate as a widower. And and I'm not the only one. For many, we've lost loved ones. For many, there have been a lot of hurts and pains. For many, there are struggles and difficulties. And it is no wonder that my new favorite song this Christmas is sung by a young lady. I can't even pronounce her name. It's some Italian name. But she, she wrote this song called Behold Him. And in the words of the first stanza, I love how she puts it. She says, when your silent night is not all right, lift your eyes and behold him. Can you say that this morning? That in this festive, celebratory place where we should be singing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Can you say this morning, because of circumstances and struggles, Your silent night is not all right? Is there worry and anxiety, concern, frustration, exacerbation of of all the feelings that you have regarding trying to celebrate this Christmas? Are the circumstances of your life so overwhelming that you are unable to extricate yourself from your troubles to truly encounter Jesus for all that he is this celebration. I want to look at Mary's encounter with Gabriel. And my hope is that I can help you in your loss, in your sorrow, in your difficulty to move from worry and anxiety to worship and adoration. But to do so, there's something in the middle that Mary did that we need to do. And I want to show you in the text this morning. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And as we do, we are going to encounter what the church has called the Magnificat. And what that is, is this is Mary's song to magnify her heavenly father. And to give him praise for all that he has done. And the text begins like this. Mary uh, is a young woman. And we're going to see her be encountered by the angel Gabriel. It says, in the, sixth month of, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Let's stop there. Right away, Luke, who is big on details, gives us many, many details to encounter. Number one, we are told this happens in the sixth month. In the sixth month of what? What's going on here? This is the sixth month, which we'll learn later in the text, of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, why is that important? It's important because Elizabeth is about to give birth to Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. What makes it so important is that she was a barren, aged woman who should not be giving birth to anybody and yet is now in her sixth month, which will be of great help to Mary here, as we'll see in a moment. 
Number two, we are told that Mary lives in a a city called Nazareth in an area of Galilee. Now, Nazareth is a backwoods area, uh, not known for much except for nothing good coming from it. Third, we see an angel appears, Gabriel appears to this virgin, meaning she has not been with a man. She's engaged, though, to a man named Joseph. And so in all intent and purposes, they're married But they haven't consummated that marriage, and of course, no pregnancy has come from that marriage. And then finally, we learn that she is favored, and she's graced by God for a particular purpose and role. And so, in a couple verses, we get in a nutshell what is going on. Now, notice that this encounter is one that isn't altogether celebratory. Notice in the text we see, and the angel said to her, um, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So an angel appears, and if that wasn't scary enough, it is what the angel is about to declare to Mary that is gonna cause her great angst and concern. I want to begin by telling you that you and I will struggle in our celebrating and worshiping of God if we find ourselves worrying about our own situations. If we find ourselves worrying about our own situations. Write that down. We find ourselves at times because of the issues and struggles going on that worry will fill our hearts. What is she so worried about? Notice it says, in verse 29, that she was greatly troubled. If you want to underline that in your Bible, that might be helpful for you because this is the only time that phrase is used in all of the New Testament. Luke is using a very unique word for a very unique situation. This word greatly troubled means to be greatly agitated. It it means to be agitated or anxious through and through, to be acutely distressed, meaning... There's a unique situation going on that has caused her her emotional and mental strain. It it causes her to be greatly disturbed, and it means that she is intensely going back and forth. In essence, her mind is racing about what is being shared with her. Now let's stop there and recognize that for many of us, and maybe this Christmas, you find yourself in that situation, greatly disturbed or troubled or agitated or anxious, and you find yourself vacillating between uh, how you should feel and maybe how others think you should feel. Maybe you're vacillating between should I do this or, or should I do that? What am I to make of my circumstances? And this is where Mary finds herself. But what causes this? Does it say in Luke's words that, that Mary was just an anxious person? She was just a worry wart and, and this is just how she was? No, we give no inkling that this is how she was. It is because of this encounter with the angel that causes her to be greatly distressed. I think that's true for a lot of us. Our anxiety, our concerns come with some issues that are brought to us. First of all, our anxiety comes and our anguish comes as a result of God throwing us a curveball. 
He throws us a curve. Notice in in Luke chapter one, starting in verse 30, it says the following. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. That doesn't seem too bad. No reason to be anxious there. But it's verse 31 that gets her feeling like there's some trouble coming. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? In verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born to you will be called holy, the son of God. Now let's stop there. What the angel has just declared, listen to me, it destroys Mary's life. We don't think about that. Nowhere in this text does it bring up Joseph. That was her expectation. At a time of Joseph's choosing, he would come, according to Middle Eastern tradition, he would bring his family, and to this woman that he's been engaged to, he would come, take her to be with him forever. They would have uh, relations which would allow them to have children, and Joseph and Mary would live happily ever after. That is her plan, that is her purpose, and the angel said, that's off the table for the time being. And what's going to happen is, is your expectation of life is going to be different than your grandma's, it's going to be different than your mom's, it's going to be different than your older sister's, it's going to be different than your friends, their expectations, their dreams, their plans, their purposes for their life, they're going to be very different than yours. And let's add to this that the shame and the scorn that is going to come because nobody's going to believe you. And so you've gone in, you've been pure, you've crossed off all the boxes of being righteous and faithful to God. And what does God do? God plops this new calling that is filled with all kinds of expectations from God himself and all kinds of scorn from her mom and dad, from her family, from her community, from her husband. And all of it has landed on this young peasant girl in one conversation. Can you imagine how greatly troubled you would be? How agitated you would be? How you'd be vacillating from one side to the other? Now, once she gets beyond that, she now has to recognize, okay, I'm gonna be called an adulteress. My, my fiance might leave me. I could be stoned for my act of adultery that is being portrayed here. Uh, nobody's gonna buy this. I'm gonna be viewed as a crazy woman. But even if she could get beyond that, she moves then to, okay, I can get back beyond that from an earthly perspective. Now let's deal with the whole job requirement. You are going to give birth and you are going to raise and you are going to tend to and you are going to teach and you are going to care and you're going to look after the Son of God. I said this uh, during our preaching meeting on Sunday to the rest of our campus pastors. If there was ever a job where a person was more unqualified, it would be Mary doing what she was called to do. Now listen, many of us feel totally unqualified in the roles and responsibilities we have. There is nobody more unqualified to serve. And I'm not trying to diminish Mary in any way. What I'm trying to say is, how can the finite tend to the infinite? 
How can the limited understanding and thinking of a human woman teach the omniscient Holy One? How can creature raise up the creator? It doesn't make any sense. She was wholly unqualified to do what God is going to call her to. Therefore, her anxiety is, I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna fail. There's no opportunity for me to succeed from a human standpoint. Even if I can get through all of the shame and scorn that's gonna come my way, at the end of the day, I'm gonna be given the job to oversee the Son of God and I am altogether unfit to be able to do that. Now, for many of us, in some way, shape, or form, we find ourselves there. We have a situation, a moment of suffering, a moment of difficulty, and we find ourselves vacillating. God has called us to endure it, and not only endure it, but to serve out of it, to show ourselves faithful amidst it, and we find ourselves saying, I can't do it. And for some this morning, you find yourself paralyzed in your anguish paralyzed in your anxiety, paralyzed in your inability to move forward. If there was anybody who should have been paralyzed with what she had been thrown her way, it should have been Mary. But I want you to notice, she doesn't stay paralyzed there. She doesn't stay stuck in the ongoing and never-ending routine of worrying, what if, what about, how come, where am I going, what am I going to do? None of that. You see, what Mary does, listen to me, if you wanna write something down, this has been so helpful for me in my times of concern. What Mary does is something that we need to model out in our own lives, and that is Mary takes her question marks and gives them to God. You struggle with worry, you struggle with anxiety. Listen, man and woman deals with question marks. Listen very carefully, God deals with exclamation points. Three people, amen that. Listen, we deal with question marks, friends. God deals with exclamation points. At no point does God sit there and go, oh my, what are we gonna do? Where are we gonna go? What's gonna happen? God's not concerned about those things. God knows what's exactly going to happen. And so what Mary does is she welcomes God into her stress. You wanna move from worry to worship? The second step is vitally important. Welcome God into the mix. Invite God into your struggle. Invite God into your circumstance. And those question marks, God will turn into exclamation points. Notice how he does it. First of all, through the angel, we see a certainty to the promises of God. Okay? So Mary's got lots of questions. Who wouldn't? But Mary listens, and with her question mark, she asks the question. It's one of the most powerful questions that could ever be asked. She asks the following, how will this be since I am a virgin? She doesn't ask it with faithlessness. She doesn't demand a sign as her uh, uh, cousin Zachariah would when he is told about his miraculous birth that's going to happen with his wife. She asked, asking the question, can I get in on the details of this? 
I, I want to see how you operate, God. I have full confidence that you've got a plan, and I just want to know how's it going to be. She's inclined to learn more. And I want you to notice, she ta- God takes Mary's question mark and turns it into exclamation points. How so? Notice from verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 30 to verse 39, 10 times, and you can go through as, as you have time later today, 10 times you're going to see God say, I will. Not I may be, or I might, or I could, if circumstances warrant, I will do this, I will do that, I will make this happen, I will make that happen. Those are exclamation points. And what Mary is able to do when she welcomes God into her worry, her question marks turn into those exclamation points because she begins to rely on the God who says, my promises are secure. This is going to happen. Nothing, as Job says in Job 42, too, can thwart anything that is a part of God's plan. Not a single thing. Not our doubts, not other people, none of that. Now, that's important. So God boasts things. The book of James says the tongue is very good at boasting a great many things. And could it be that God's tongue is getting the best of him, that he's boasting things that he's not going to, in fact, live out? Some of us believe that. Some of us believe that that the scriptures are written in such a way that all God does is he boasts. And we say, well, he did it there, but he's not doing it with me. Or I haven't seen this type of thing take place. And so what does God do? Because here, let's just face it. Mary's problem is so big. She can't go to the scriptures and be like, okay, let's go to the concordance. All right, okay, so what's my situation? My situation's I'm a virgin and an angel has come to me. And uh, okay, angel comes to you, says you are going to give birth through the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's not on that page. Holy Spirit, and the one that's born to you is the, mo- the Son of the Most High God. All right, where's that happened? Uh, there's no, it's not in here. It's never happened before. You're telling me I'm the first woman to ever give birth as a virgin and that what is inside of me is the Holy One of God? This has never happened. So she can't go to the Bible and find encouragement to say, okay, what, did, what happened when so-and-so had this happen? There's none of that. She can't go to her mom she can't go to her grandma. She can't go to her girl's small group. Could you imagine she gets together with the girls as we do as our small groups? And, hey, hey could you guys pray for me? Yeah, what's going on, Mary? Oh, funny thing. I was cleaning the blankets, you know, like we do on Tuesdays. Uh-huh. And an angel appeared to me. Hmm, it's going to be one of those prayer requests. And I know some of you have been a part of those prayer Oh, okay, let's see where this goes. And he said, I'm pregnant. But listen, it's not Joseph's. It's the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just want to know, how, how did you guys deal with that when that happened to you? Go ahead, share. I'm, I'm going to write these things down. Nothing? No, none of them have ever dealt with anything like this. What do you do? What does God do to us or for us when We don't have an answer. I want you to notice how gracious God is where there seems to be no answer. Notice what he says to Mary. 
He says, okay, this is what's going to happen. This crazy thing is going to happen to you in verse 35. And then he says, and behold, verse 36, I know you know that my word is good, but let me give you a down payment on the veracity or the truthfulness of my statements. Exhibit A, your cousin Elizabeth. You know, the old lady, barren one, the one that sits by herself all the time at family gatherings because people think she's accursed and, and people think that, that God has not shown her favor. That one that, that kind of just sits by herself, she's with child. And why is that important? Because I think when we welcome God into our struggle. He is always faithful to bring us a counterpart to endure the struggle with. Now, did he bring someone who is dealing exactly with where Mary was? Nope. There was nobody out there. She was one and only. But God says, let me give you some encouragement through the ministry of someone else who's dealing with something like you are or are or have. And this is why we're so big on small groups. Here's your plug for small groups. Because when you endure these difficult times, it is quite amazing that God has partnered you with people who maybe aren't going through the same exact situation, but something similar. And sometimes what I love about this is Mary's just learning about her pregnancy and Elizabeth's six months into it. She's two-thirds of the way there. I'll never forget when Amanda got diagnosed with cancer and our our minds were just flooded with all the what ifs, all the question marks came. And we were sitting at a community event uh, and talking with a woman and she said, listen, I've had that same kind of cancer and it's hard and it's gonna be a battle, but listen to me, I'm an example that I got through it and you can get through it. And I will tell you what, we went home and our questions weren't answered, but it was so good to know that there was someone who had been in our shoes in some way. It's no, no uh, ironic thing that uh, right after this happens, Mary arose and went to the hill country to a town in Judah where she entered into the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Why? Because there's something about enduring a struggle, a hard thing, to do it with someone who's already ahead of you in that. And so she does that. And God gives us as this grace, when you welcome God in, he starts putting people in your life that have endured and and, and gone through those struggles and gives you a glimpse into what God is all about. Mary wasn't alone. God was at work in the lives of people around her. Now notice the one final thing. If that wasn't enough, he says, listen, here's my thing. This is what I'm going to do. Here's my proof of it. Your, si- your sister, your cousin Elizabeth is with child and that's not supposed to happen. So take solace, I'm a miracle working God. And then if that's not enough, he says the following in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. So he says, listen, After all is said and done, can I just declare something about myself? What you see as impossible, I see wholly possible. And maybe today, you're vacillating in your worry and anxiety, and I want you, when those question marks come, to establish with an exclamation point, nothing is impossible with God. And so I'm gonna put all of my chips, I'm gonna lay myself into the hands of God 
Even though I think my situation is altogether impossible, I believe in a God who can make all things come to the points and places he wants them to. And some need to hear that this morning. Turn your question marks into God's exclamation points. Because then as you welcome God in, he will begin to affirm and he'll begin to show you that he's got a plan for your trouble. That he's got a plan for your pain. That he's got a plan for your anxiety. He's got a plan for the suffering that you find yourself in. There's a plan and if you haven't seen it, look around. There are others that are struggling and God is using them to do great things. We watch John and Lori Barrett. They've got a lot of struggles And yet through their struggles, God has allowed them to serve and honor God. And so we see it. And then if we need anything more, that which we see as impossible is possible with God. This all allows us, when you and I welcome God into our worry, it allows us to worship God. From verse 46 through the end here to verse 55, we see Mary break out in song. She's able to worship God, and she does throw through scripture and song. Now, what is it about her worship? We see three things, and I'll go very quickly with these things. First of all, her worship was God-centered. It was God-centered. Mary, in these verses, shares 17 attributes about her God, 17. Let me, let me just start reading. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 17 different attributes or affirmations about God and his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And this should just tell us, listen, in our worship, in our prayer, let it stop being about us and it be about him. Mary had much to complain about. Mary had much to question about, but she doesn't. She turns it and says, yes, I've got lots of questions, but I have a God who is the God of the impossible, and I am just going to worship and adore him. Second, it's Bible-centered. All of this comes from the Psalms. It comes from Hannah's prayer that she prays in 1 Samuel. It comes from Old Testament theology. And scholars are blown away because they're like, how did this unlearned peasant girl have this kind of Bible knowledge? Let's remember, she's not carrying around a Bible. She doesn't have it on her app of her iPhone 1, okay? She doesn't have any of that. But she has hid God's word in her heart for these moments, How much more then are we able to hide God's word in our heart when we have it wherever we go? Now why? 
Why should it be Bible-centered? Because the more you know of the acclaim and accolades of God, listen to me, the greater your faith will be. When you have seen God address the troubles and fears and concerns of people over and over again, you're going to come to learn, my problems aren't as big as I thought they were. And number two, God has found a way to address them before and he'll address them with me today. It's Bible-centered. Finally, it's gospel-centered. That is, this is her song is all about how God saved her, how God has met her, how God has shown mercy to her. Listen to me. We have many, many reasons to celebrate God this Christmas season because of all that God has done. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus came and he sought and saved that which was lost. And because of it, you and I have hope, you and I have joy, you and I have peace, you and I have salvation and every spiritual blessing under heaven because Christ came and made his dwelling among us. And if we don't think we have reason to celebrate, then you don't know what you have been saved from. And so when you begin to rehearse in your mind all that God has saved you from and all he's saved me from, then you will, over, out of overflow, begin to announce and proclaim and sing the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. And that's what Mary does. She magnifies the Lord who moved her from worry into worship. And God wants to gift you with that this Christmas. Amen.